Our theme is how to raise godly kids in a dumb and dumber world. We are turning to the classic on parenting, both for Jews and Christians, the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Dave Wurtzen begins by summarizing what we have already learned about the monastery and laissez-faire approach to parenting. He then introduces the learn and live parenting style of the wise men and women of old Israel. Discover with us how to help our kids internalize a relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked about three parental philosophies. The first is the philosophy of a monastery. And as we react to trying to raise young people to be able to escape the snare of drugs or the sting of immorality or to be able to escape the problem that might come from temptation when they go into a career or to college, that the monastery approach reacts by setting up some rules and regulations. It's very much built on fear and the basic idea is that if we can isolate our young people, if we can just protect them from all these influences, if we can make sure that they live in a world where no one ever does proposition them, where no one ever does challenge them to take drugs, where they never hear about things like homosexuality or prostitution or whatever it might be, then maybe, maybe they'll grow up to live a godly life. The cries of parents that have adopted that approach warn us that that approach is fallacious. It will not work because the problem is inside of us. And last week we spent a lot of time looking at Mark 7 where none other than Christ himself exposed to us that the monastery philosophy of the Pharisees will not fly because evil has already attacked our insides and the insides of our children. And therefore, any external approach to the problem of evil is going to fail. We have to come up with an approach that's going to reach not only our kids' minds, but also their hearts. We have to come up with an approach that's going to deal with our insides as well as not just having an external list of rules and regulations. Now we talked about the fact that some of you were brought up in a home that as you think back over it adopted the monastery approach. In other words, you had to go to church. Nothing wrong with that, but that's all there was. In other words, you went to a church. For some of you, that church was very dead. There wasn't the living reality of Christ involved in that. You had a lot of rules and regulations. You couldn't go to this place, couldn't do this, couldn't be with this person. And you rebelled against it very strongly. In other words, you hated it. Every time you asked your parents, why? Why should we go to church? Why should we read the Bible? Why is Jesus Christ the answer? What about all the other religions? Your parents got very uptight about that. They didn't want to deal with that question why. Now some of you that grew up in that kind of a monastery home have now gone to another parental philosophy which is just as devastating. You say, I want to make sure that my kids never react the way I reacted. And so what you've done is you've adopted a lazy fair, no interference parental philosophy. The basic ingredient of this philosophy is, I don't really know what the answers are, but I believe that my children, if they just explore, if they discover, if they go out into the world, they're going to learn in the school of experience. The problem with that approach is that it was already tried in the 60s very strongly in our country. 
And when the university students rioted, burned some of the universities to the ground, and also when drug abuse attacked, a TV announcer in our day will get on a national television show and say, I tried drugs in the 60s. I thought it was permitted. I thought it was the way to find life. But it was the way of death. It's an amazing thing, but I believe that there's a, a lot of wising up in our culture taking place. You're hearing it from very strange sources. Hey, promiscuous sex doesn't work. It's not worth getting AIDS. I heard the big NBA center talking about how when he went into NBA ball, how he was propositioned to take drugs several times. And he was telling about the fact that as he learned to say no, which he was committed to, he always said no, he was talking about how it got easier and easier. And then he made an appeal for young people today not to take drugs. In the 60s, everything was permitted. We're wising up. But the big question we need to ask ourselves is, where are we going to find a Dr. Spock for now? Where can we find an expert in child development who can prepare our kids to live? Who you choose to learn from, who you choose to get information from is very important. Because the learn to live philosophy, not live and learn, but we want to help our children to learn to live. We want to be able to teach them the reality of life. We want to be able to teach them the truths of life. We want to help them to get a wise head on young shoulders. Now, how are we going to do that? We need to come up with an approach that's going to speak to their inside, to their heart. We need to deal with an approach that will talk about a relationship, a living relationship with a wise man. But in order to do that, we need to find someone who's really wise. Who are you going to rely upon to teach you about the family? I think we as believers need to ask ourselves, where are we going to look for our models for the kinds of insights and principles that we should follow? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, because the book of Proverbs begins with the man who I believe has the insight that God chose to have the insight to teach us how we can raise our kids in the learn-to-live philosophy and to be able to have a man who can really teach us the realities of life. Proverbs begins with the title. And the title reads like this. Everybody have it? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. If you mention the word Proverbs in Poor Richard's Almanac to an English audience, who do you think of? If I say Poor Richard's Almanac, American Proverbs, who's the big name that comes to your mind? Tell me. Ben Franklin, okay, in Philadelphia with the Gazette, right? In ancient Israel, the name that would come to mind was not Franklin, but it was Solomon. Remember when Norm Sanju was here, the general manager of the 76ers, he gave us an entire message on Solomon. Here was a man who had more political power than a United States president. He actually had more authority, and it's obvious now with the way Congress and our president interact, it's obvious that Solomon had more power than that. If he spoke the word, it would be executed. So here was a man that knew the ropes of politics. He was a king. 
He had unbelievable authority in the civil affairs of his nation and in the military affairs of his nation. Here was a man who had more money. He would be the equivalent of a Texas oil baron. In other words, he had millions and millions of dollars that was just pouring into his coiffers. If you study the, the layout of his palace and the money he was able to invest in the building of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, we are dealing, even according to Texas standards, with, a, with megabucks. So he had more money than a big Texas oil baron. And that's not too good an illustration right now, but I think you can still get the point. Thirdly, had more women than you, Hefner. The reality is that some of you young people believe, man, that's really where the action is. If I could go to Fort Lauderdale at Easter time and be able to look at the most beautiful women in the world, the most beautiful girls in the world, that would be the answer to life. Now, you don't really talk like that, but those are ideas deep in your heart. There's something really alluring about a U. Hefner. The Playboy philosophy doesn't sell millions upon millions of magazines for nothing. Well, here is a man who didn't just read about it and pretend. This is a man that had a thousand knockout beautiful women from all over the ancient Near East with all that exoteric mystery. Here was a man that could command any one of those women to come to him at any time that he wanted. So if you want to deal with a man who had experience, if you young people want to listen to somebody that can tell you from experience the way life works, Solomon is that man. You see, this man that is introduced in the title of the book of Proverbs is a man that didn't grow up as a nice, sweet little preacher that came down from heaven once a week, didn't really know what was going on in your high school, didn't really know what was going on in your work, didn't really know what was going on in your lives. He just talked about some nice, gushy religious principles that didn't really interact with the rough and tumble of the temptation that you face in your office or in your school. Solomon was not that kind of a man. Solomon was a man that for much of his life tried out life. Tried out every experience he could find. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, I believe, records his quest to find meaning. When he got all done, he says, it's all empty. I didn't find the answer to the meaning of life in all of this money, in all of this sex, and with all of this power. And I believe that the book of Proverbs, unlike Ecclesiastes, does not tell us about a foolish quest of trying to find the meaning to life without God. Instead, the book of Proverbs lays out, here is the wise way to live. Here is the skillful way to live. Now, parents, as we read the title, The Proverbs of Solomon, and as I talk to you about Solomon, let me ask you a question. How many of you believed that Solomon had the right thinking in his head? How many think he had the right thinking in his head? In other words, if he were teaching you this morning, do you think you could depend upon what Solomon was saying? How many of you think you could? You could. He had the right thinking in his head. He said the right things with his mouth. People came from all over the ancient world to hear him teach. I mean, they didn't just get up early Sunday morning and to come to a nice building and, and hear someone teach. Solomon could motivate people to come from miles and miles across very steaming hot deserts because he was so wise. 
Now I ask you, how many of you raise your hand and say, well, I think Solomon could tell me the truth. How many would raise your hand and say, well, Solomon lived the truth? So that introduces us to a very important principle. You ever said to your kids, don't listen to what I do. Listen to what I say. Have you ever said that? You know, and I don't follow my example, but what I'm teaching you is right. And some of you say, well, Solomon just proves that my approach is right. I need to teach my kids right. But man, you've got to be understanding about my life. In other words, my life, you know, it just doesn't quite fit in with my words. And Solomon lived that way, so he was the wisest man that ever lived. Evidently, I can live that way. Well, the wisest man in God's sight becomes a fool because Solomon lost his kids. You see, I think a lot of people never even think about that. The wisest man that ever lived, the fellow that gave us God's parental handbook for family living, didn't raise his kids wisely. Rehoboam in 1 Kings, as soon as his father died, made such a terrible decision that the whole kingdom of Israel divided in half and remained divided for the rest of the history of Israel. Rehoboam was a bigger fool than his father. And so right away as we begin this book, we have a very serious message that I need to take to heart and that you need to take to heart. Just speaking the right words with our mouth. I can come here on Sunday morning and teach you skillful principles about raising your kids. My kids know whether or not I live it. And whether or not I live it and whether or not they see reality in my life is ultimately going to be the biggest influence on their life, not necessarily a determinative influence because every one of our kids has a will of their own as well. And they're responsible for the decisions that they make and they can't blame mom and dad if they make bad decisions. But it's still true that the most powerful influence upon a kid's life is the reality of the life of their parents. And so Solomon warns us, you can teach all the right things. You can be very world-renowned, have people coming from all over to listen to your wisdom. But if you don't live it, then you won't give your kids the greatest gift that you could give them as a mom and dad. And that is not just skillful words, but a skillful life. So we're introduced in the very beginning of the book to Solomon, the Ben Franklin of ancient Israel. We're also introduced in the title to the kind of literature that we're going to have Proverbs. One of the biggest problems that a lot of believers have when they read the book of Proverbs is that they make a mistake about the kind of literature that they're reading. You see, in the book of Proverbs, you don't have laws and you don't have promises. Laws are authoritative rules that you always are to follow. The Ten Commandments are laws. Thou shalt not steal. In the book of Proverbs, you're not going to have many thou shalt not steals. You're going to have principles. In fact, if you approach the book from the concept of law, you're going to have a lot of problems because there's some Proverbs that are absolutely contradictory. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 26, Proverbs chapter 26, and if you look at verse 4, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. 
Now, there are ancient rabbis at Yavne, which was kind of a, a school that the ancient rabbis had about 70 AD. They almost decided that the book of Proverbs did not belong in the authoritative canon of Holy Scripture because it was contradictory right here. You see, they even made the mistake of taking it as law, as authoritative commandments. It says in one verse, don't answer a fool according to their folly. The next verse says, answer a fool according to their folly. How do you get all those together? Well, in proverbial literature, it states general principles. It encapsulates the way life usually runs. It's like an, a big billboard that presents object lessons. And the reality of life is that there's sometimes where it's wise to answer a fool according to their folly. It's wise to speak up lest they become prideful in their own eyes. Some other time, it's better not to answer them or you will become like them. Let me give you an illustration of the way that works. Madeline Murray O'Hare used to go all over the country debating in colleges and speaking up. And she would even come, you know, to large cities. Well, she came to a very large city and a prominent preacher decided he was going to debate her. Now, the audience that I'm speaking to today is relatively friendly. You're relatively friendly. In other words, as I speak to you, you're real, it's not really a, a threatening situation for me. Most of you, you're on my side. You want to learn from me. In fact, the more that I teach you over the years and as you come more and more, it's, it's a very congenial audience and preachers get used to that. But when you go out into the marketplace, it's not a congenial audience. In other words, when I used to speak at Word of Life the first week of, of basketball week, and about three-quarters of the audience were ghetto kids that had never even heard John 3.16, it was not a congenial audience. They would stand up and say, ah, oh, this is boring, let's get out of here and play basketball. They would say, when are you going to shut up? You know, just really, just very friendly audiences, right? And that, that really influenced, and in fact, it's good for you to speak to an audience like that. It makes you strong. It also keeps you humble. Preachers get too prideful. They think people are just dribbling over every word, and the truth of the matter is most of them are falling asleep. But preachers do get used to congenial audiences, and this preacher had really gotten used to a congenial audience, and Madeline Merrill here is not a congenial audience at all. I mean, she just started cussing. She said some really, really dirty things before they even got on the radio. Before they were done, they had a knockout, dragout fight. I mean, the preacher was red, his face was like this and everything. And, and the next day in the city's papers, they ran this big shot. The, the, the news media loves to do this. They had the preacher just with his fist clenched and his teeth bared and he was angry. And then they had preacher debates, Madam Mary Harrow, and then it said, isn't this Christian love? Now that's what Proverbs means when it says, don't answer a fool according to their folly, lest you become like them. Sometimes, in some situations, it's better not to answer a fool. There's other times when it is wise. Madeline Murray Hare was debating in a university campus and she went through her whole lecture and afterwards she threw it open for questions and everyone was interacting and talking. And a lot of the kids were asking her questions about her atheism. And suddenly in the back, this sweet little girl raised her hand, a co-ed, about a, probably a sophomore in college, raised her hand and said, Madam Mayor here. And she said, yes. She said, Madam Mayor here, I just want to thank you for being here tonight. I really appreciated what you've had to say because I'm a born-again believer. And I always wondered what it would be like to live in the emptiness 
of a life without the dear Lord Jesus. Because I want you to know in the midst of all your sophistication, in the midst of all your arguments, that you've missed the ultimate person who alone can give life the meaning and love and peace. You see, for many years I lived according to your philosophy, but while I've been on this campus, I've come to know Christ as my Savior, and He's really brought my life together. I just want you to know that I thank you for coming because you've illustrated to me in stark reality what it's like to think and to feel and to live, and Christ isn't part of it. She just sat down, and there was an awesome silence over the audience. And then the kids stood up and applauded her. Why? Because she was truthful and honest. That's another time when you answer a fool according to their folly, lest you be wise in your own eyes. You say, well, Dave, how do I know what to do? How do I know when to do it? It depends. Depends upon the circumstances. It depends upon the situation. The wise person knows the time to speak and the time to be silent. And the only way that you can enter into that is to get into this book and allow God to help you to become a wise person. You don't live life according to just strict rules and regulations that you always say, in this situation, I'm going to do this. Life doesn't come at you like that. And so Proverbs are not laws. They're also not promises. Some of you have clung to the promise. Train up a child in the way which he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So you raised your children, really working hard to raise them according to the principles of the Word of God. And you raised four kids. And three of your kids, one of them is on the mission field, one of them is a businessman for God, another one's in the political scene, and then another one is a drug addict. And you get down your knees every day and you say, Lord, I trained him in the way which he should go. How old is he going to have to get before he comes back to that? You treat the Proverbs like they're promises. I know a lot of you have cherished that one, but it's not true to the literature of Proverbs. Training up a child in the way which he should go simply means that education generally, usually determines behavior outcome. In other words, what that proverb is saying is if you as a mom and dad live godly, if you follow the principles of Proverbs, if you really allow God to work in your heart and you pass that precious gift on to your children, usually, most of the time, that deep godly training will cause them as they mature to be godly themselves. But it doesn't mean that they're locked in concrete. You see, your kids have a will. Your kids can listen to all of your training. They can see your life, and they can still choose to rebel. Now, that's hard for me. I wish that wasn't so, and yet I don't. Because, you see, my kids wouldn't be people, and your children wouldn't be people either, if they couldn't choose to reject, if they couldn't choose to walk away. You see, one thing I want to clear up from the very start, I'm not going to promise you that the kind of parental philosophy that I teach you is going to be a simple how-to technique that will guarantee that your kids, when they get through your assembly line, will come out to be a certain kind of car. Because it's not going to work that way. Life is much too complex for that. Proverbs state the way life usually runs. We will be continuing this discussion next week on Truth Encounter. 
Proverbs stresses that we need to share more than our words. We must share our lives.